AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. This is the Wells Cast with Wells Adams, an iHeartRadio podcast. Hello, everybody out there. Yep, this is the Wells Cast. With your boy, Wells Adams. How's everyone doing? Me and myself, I'm doing fine, I guess, except for the fact that last night, Chris Harrison and company decided it was a good idea to uh, replay my season of The Bachelorette and dedicate a solid three acts of the show, a.k.a. like 35 minutes, to making fun of yours truly. And I will concede that, yes, there was a lot of funny moments with me on that show. But if you think about it, it was a lot of JoJo and Chris just trying to kill me, which kind of rude. Hey, let's have this uh, this skinny guy go pretend to be a firefighter all morning long and see if he won't die. Let's shove this kid down a sand dune with a snowboard attached to his foot after he's been drinking in Uruguay for 13 hours straight and see if he survives. Hey, let's make him go on this weird one-on-one date where they literally put me on a giant hamster wheel and shot me and gave me a fake bag of blood. At that point, I should have known, hey guys, listen, I'm getting the feeling that you don't want me on the show. Getting the feeling that I... I'm the punching bag here. But it was fun to relive all that. Listen, at the end of the day, that show has given me so much. So, gotta be grateful. And it's all in good fun, right? Can't laugh at yourself. Man, you got props. Super excited for the show today. For the most part, I'm interviewing people on this show that I don't really know. And so, it's interesting to hear their stories and kind of see how they got to become successful. But every once in a while, I get to interview someone that I do know. And it's always something that I look forward to because one, if I'm friends with somebody or know them, it's because I think they are rad and I want to showcase that radness to everyone who listens to the show. And then also sometimes I hear stories about my friends that I didn't even know about. And I'm like, wait, what? Really? That's cool. So it's a learning exercise for me as well. I met this guy like, I want to say like three years ago. We both were Nashville boys who have decided to move to Los Angeles to pursue bigger and better things. Now, granted, the things that he's pursued are much, 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 much bigger, but whatever. What's the same? You guys know what a five-tool player is? It's a baseball term that is used to describe someone who can do everything. You know, they can hit, they can run, they can field, you know, they can play offense, they can play defense. They can do all these things. To be a 5-2 player in baseball means you are the best. That's kind of what this guy is. And it's funny because he wanted to be a professional baseball player growing up. But that didn't work out. And like we find with most of the guests, there's usually something else that everyone is like striving to be. And then all of a sudden, some sort of paradigm shift occurs. They get thrust into a different calling. I mean, let's be fair. You probably know him for his role on the hit show on Fox called Glee. Dude was nominated for Screen Actors Guild Award for his work on said show. But he's also a phenomenal musician. He grew up under the creative wing of his father, Grammy winner and country top charting songwriter, 
Paul Overstreet, who penned iconic hits like When You Say Nothing At All, Forever And Ever Amen, and She Thinks My Tractor's Sexy. And I also think Some Beach, Somewhere. This is a kid who wanted to become a professional baseball player, was a varsity football player in high school, but his senior year blew his knee out, popped that ACL, and then all of a sudden it was like, what do I do now? His dad said, hey, pick up that guitar and do something with your time. And then everything changed. He's got a new song out right now called What You Need, and I'm telling you, it's what you need to go listen to because it is phenomenal. We'll play a little bit later on in the show, but coming up on the Wells cast, my friend, extremely talented, Cord Overstreet will be joining us. Stick around. This is one you do not want to miss. Mom met a lot of your demands over the years. This Mother's Day, get her the Bartesian cocktail maker that makes premium cocktails on demand. In just 30 seconds, have your choice of over 60 premium or seasonal cocktails, all at the touch of a button. Get $50 off on the Bartesian cocktail maker now when you buy one pack of cocktail capsules. So, for all the times you made a mess, get mom the countertop cocktail system that makes premium cocktails without making any mess at all. For all the times you begged for soda, get her premium cocktail capsules made with real fruit juice and craft bitters. For all the times you demanded tacos for dinner, get her the Bartesian that mixes margaritas in just 30 seconds. Make mom's Mother's Day and all the 364 days that aren't Mother's Day with a Bartesian cocktail maker at $50 off. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash mother now to get $50 off the Bartesian premium cocktail maker. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Awards Watch says Liam Neeson is at his best. Don't miss In the Land of Saints and Sinners. Having left his dark past behind, retired hitman Finbar Murphy, played by Neeson, leads a quiet life in a remote coastal Irish town. But when a menacing crew of terrorists arrive, Finbar is drawn into a vicious game of cat and mouse, forcing him to choose between exposing his secret identity or defending his friends and neighbors. In the land of saints and sinners, from Samuel Goldwyn Films and Sony Pictures Home Entertainment. Watch it now on digital. Rated R. Yo! Oh, there he is. What's going on, buddy? Oh, you know, we're just living during the end of days. It's fun. I have some serious conspiracy theories with that stuff. I'm right there with you. Do you want to get into that? Should this be the Cordover Street conspiracy <laughs> theory podcast? I mean, I have a lot. I have a lot of crazy ones. What's leading the pack right now for you? Okay, my latest conspiracy theory is, which it might be real, but I don't know. The Pentagon came out with the UFO, the UFO, um thing that happened that the navy released with the videos of like the tic tac thing that's like moving around and yeah i guess like, yes, was a real ufo and i was like why is the pentagon it was right after quarantine i was like why is the pentagon telling us all this i bet you what's going to happen is they're going to come out with something saying like this is a biological attack by aliens and that's how they take over as like instead of actually having a war with humans, they're just going to get everybody sick with this virus and take over the planet and grab all our resources and then bounce. Have you seen War of the Worlds? Yeah. That's like the opposite of War of the Worlds. But, I mean, honestly, if you don't want to have to do any kind of, uh, you know, lose a bunch of aliens, that's the way to do it, I guess. You know, they wanted to, like, storm Area 51. You know, everyone's been, like, dying to, like, find out about the aliens. And then in the middle of the pandemic, they drop this knowledge, and it doesn't seem like anyone gives a shit. No, it's like, oh, yeah, aliens. I'm like, <laughs> the government just told us that everything that we've been, you know, thinking for the last hundred years, yeah, there's aliens and they're flying around. They're faster than our Navy ships. But maybe they're cool, though, you know? Maybe they're like stoners and bros and just, you know, chill. I wonder how long it would be for us to corrupt an alien. You know, like what if they were like super high functioning, obviously extremely intelligent beings. And like how many frat parties would we need to take him to before he just becomes Gary, that stoner that we all know? I think two. At least, <laughs> at least two. You need like the first is the introduction. The second one, he's picking up beer pong. Yeah. And, you know, figuring out how to like properly do a beer bong rip. I think two is right. I think that's a good number. <laughs> 
they could look exactly like us. That's another theory. Are you into that whole like uh, green lizard man thing? Uh, no, but now you got me scared. Is there? Is this? Is oh, there there's. Green lizard running around? Oh yeah, there's this whole conspiracy theory that there are these lizard humans that you know like wear human skin and like run the earth. Look into it. It's going to blow your mind. I've heard that. I've also heard there's like a hotel for aliens, like underground. Basically, they give us technology and we trade them. For, I don't know what we have to give an alien, but they give us beer bombs and beer we dye. Have, like, we, have, we have great underground hotels <laughs> that we're letting them stay at. Have you heard about the conspiracy theory of like what's under the Denver airport? No, what's that? Oh, man. Yeah, you got I got a couple homework assignments for you to look oh, into. Oh, my gosh. There are all these like weird signs and paintings and things inside the Denver airport. And the thought is, is that underneath the Denver airport, there's like crazy bunkers and tubes and everything underneath the Denver airport. And there's a lot of conspiracy theories going around with the one. The top one is when you get on an airplane, you don't really know where you're going. You just assume that you're going to the right place, but you could totally be going to the wrong and you would never know. You know, you're going to a different dimension. Yeah. I mean, so the thought is, is that if if it goes down, which it is going down, that people could be getting on airplanes being like, I'm going to go see my mom in Phoenix. And then you show up at the Denver airport, not even knowing. And then all of a sudden you're in this like underground bunker. If like the world is ending, I would probably say that's not actually a real thing, except I've been to Denver and Denver people are weird. Yeah, I know. Right. So. That's like the only scenario where I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a possibility. If this is my last conversation with anyone, I'm excited it's with you, Cord. <laughs> Same here. Welcome to the Wells cast. Aside from all the craziness of conspiracy theories, how is everything going for you? Um, it's good, man. You know, just trying to stay as busy as possible and work as much uh, as I can from home. And uh, I'm prob I'm leaving, uh, going to Nashville. My sister's about to have a baby, so trying to knock that out my mom's birthday and so it's uh i'm getting a lot of i'm gonna get hit three birds with one stone nice we've known each other for a while did i first meet you like way back in the day like like during my lightning 100 days in nashville possibly what year what year were you there 2007 to basically a year and a half ago but i feel like i met you and i could be totally wrong but how many chords are there in the world so i haven't met another one so you know what's really funny my brother's name is cord you're kidding. Not a joke, but it's but he doesn't have the H in it. Oh, well. He's telephone cord, your guitar cord. Exactly. Your cord is cooler than his cord. <laughs> yeah, I definitely got teased a lot growing up, and then and then it just became, oh, well, that's a cool name. Yeah. I think, I think everybody that uh, has like a weird name gets when they're a kid, and then like when they're older, they're like thankful that they have some, you know, it's not like John. Yeah. But like, you know, like Wells is... That's, I, I've never met anybody else named Wells either. Yeah, I've only met a, I've only met a few of us. We're few and far between. But Core, I think, is even more unique. I think the first time I remember like us having like a full on like kind of conversation was probably oh gosh, it was probably like I don't know, like five or six years ago at some vanity fair, yeah, some Golden Globe thing with uh, you and Sarah. It was some award show where we hung out and we ended up getting. I feel like well, I got drunk. I don't know what happened with you. Uh -huh. It's, it's, it was, I was definitely toast. Those are like, those are the nights that when the next morning you end up hating yourself. Yeah. And I just remember, uh, we exchanged numbers and the next morning I was like, I got someone's number. And I think Sarah was like, what the fuck are you talking about? And I was like, listen, just give me this one. All right. I have a new friend. Leave me alone. <laughs> well, I remember we were both like hitting it off because we were talking about Nashville. Yeah. Anybody that's from Nashville is immediately like just cool in my opinion. Not now because all the, uh, everybody's now imported that lives, that lives there. So. Oh, I know, man. It's completely different now. Lower Broadway is probably where Corona started, to be fair. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Like at Acme or at, mm. at maybe Losers. I got a feeling it is a Kid Rock's Tootsies. bar. No, no, no. Tootsie's <laughs> and Robert's Western World and Acme. Those are reputable establishments. It's like Kid Rock's bar. Where what's kid what's kid rock bar's name? I have no I don't know, but I just know that there is one. There's a kid rock bar and then there's like a Luke Bryan or like Dirk Bentley has a bar. I don't know. They all have And Florida Georgia Lines got a bar. When here's the question, Cord, when are you gonna open up a bar on Lower Broadway? I'm thinking about it right now. I'm gonna go down there, I'm never coming back. It's uh <laughs> 
It's going to be called Cocktails with Cord. <laughs> I like that. It's literally only just straight alcohol. There's no mixing involved. It's like, you want ice or do you not? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's like Thank the you. Coyote Ugly Bar, right? Remember they only serve like Jack, Jim, Jose, exactly. and beer. <laughs> and, and I end up getting up and dancing every other, like every other hour I'll get up and dance in the bar mm -hmm. and like Davey Dukes. And uh, I probably won't wear a wig. I'll probably just do it just straight up. I'd go there. I've just yeah. worth the price of admission <laughs> for sure. Well, anyways, I'm excited to have you on the show. You've got a song out right now called What You Need. Yeah, I do indeed. I've been digging on it, man. I was told that you might play a little bit of it. Are you ready to do that? Or do you want me to yeah. play some of it from the stereo? What do you want me to do here? I mean, I can play it from my stereo or your stereo or on the guitar, either way. What do you want to do? It doesn't matter to me. Let's play it from your stereo. Okay. Pills to help anxiety. Take the best you leave If I could give you what you need Temporary fix for the storm at the end of the night Call out my name but it sounds like you're reading a line I don't really care, I could drown in the waves that you call First, it kind of feels like it's real when you string me along But I could take the loose and sleep All right, dude, I just got to say I am obsessed with this song. Oh, thanks, man. Just hear me out, all right? Huge Bonnie Vare fan. Mm-hmm. It starts off kind of Bonnie Vare, right? Mm-hmm. My one thing that I've always been annoyed with Bonnie there is he doesn't deviate from that effect a lot. And, oh, yeah. and a lot of times just... I'm like, I want to hear Justin Vernon's voice because I know it's great. And yeah. you did the thing that I wanted, been wanting him to do for so long is that that effect is so cool. Contrast. Yes. You know, come in and out of it. And you've got layers to it anyways. And obviously the lyrics are, are just beautiful. So tell me about what you need. Well, thank you. First off, that was one of those songs where it's like, a day before everybody got locked down, we wrote it and kind of just had a two-hour therapy session before we went into the lyrics. And then I kind of just had, while I was talking about everything, I just kind of started taking notes on specific things I was saying. And the song kind of came out. It just kind of like happened really quick once once we got through with the therapy session. The song kind of for me was, you know, I had this back and forth kind of relationship. It just never was right. It was one of those being partnered up or paired up with somebody that it was just everything was challenging. And it was like all these obstacles were in the way that weren't really there. And it was like they were, they were almost their own worst enemy. I was kind of coming from the position of like, well, even if, you know, you can't have somebody or even if, you know, you can't change nobody, you're not going to change anybody. The kind of unconditional love that you kind of sacrifice what you want to give somebody what they need. You know, you would take the mess, the disaster, everything, if it could help a little bit, but it, it, it never really does. And so it was kind of that, that turmoil and that kind of being stuck in limbo. It was, yeah, it was one of the songs that once I kind of got what was going on out of me, it kind of just wrote itself. Was it one of those that was done in 15 minutes? Because you hear stories of that, like some songs, they just, they just kind of ooze out of you. I think the verses kind of came for me really easy in 15 minutes. And then the, I had the title, What You Need, because I usually work off titles and then it's trying to figure out what's going on with you, how you make that fit into a song. I kept going back and being like, you know, I would take I would take the worst and that would that would that would mess me up the worst just to try to make this person happy. And it's not healthy and it's not good. And so once we got the chorus, I kind of just was like I just said I was like temporary fix for the storm at the end of the night. You know, you're calling out my name, but it sounds like you're reading the line. So it's like. It's you're in it and you're, you know, it's bad, but you're hooking up just because that's what people do in a toxic relationship. Yeah. And so it kind of goes, I don't really care. I could drown in the waves that you cause. First, it kind of feels like it's real when you string me along. So it's just, it's just kind of this bad addiction with another person. All that stuff, the verses just kind of flew out in probably yeah, like five, 10 minutes, like you were saying. Like the good ones kind of, or the ones that literally mean something in me always stream of conscious well the song's freaking amazing i don't know if anyone told you kind of the genesis or the idea of what this show is effectively it's an origin story show i like to find out how the hell successful people became successful like what were the 
the avenues, the roads that you took to get where you are now. I mean, like, obviously everyone kind of knows who you are from Glee and from your music, but how did you get there? And usually it seems to a lot of people that like it's an overnight success, but in reality, overnight takes years and years and years. So I was wondering if we could go, go through and and you could tell us your story on on kind yeah. of how you became Court Overstreet. Uh, all right. Well, yeah, it's uh, it's a long story, but once upon a time, um, my dad's a country music songwriter, so I grew up doing music, and that's kind of something that I just always done and not really thought about it. Like, just kind of did what my dad was doing. He would have, when we were little, he would have all, he had, I'm one of six kids, but he would have his kids come out on stage and he would introduce each kid and they would say something into the mic. And I was probably like, he tells a story all the time, but I was probably like two or three. There was this long runway and he was doing these like big arenas at the time. And there was this long runway at the end of the front of the stage. And when he called me out, I walked right past everybody, walked to the end of the runway and struck like a guitar pose. <laughs> like I was playing like air guitar. And then like the crowd lost their shit. And that's like one of the stories that like, that was probably the first time I was on stage. But I wanted to be like a pro baseball player pretty much, you know, five until 18. That was just like my, you know, I mean, I think every kid wants to be a pro athlete at some point. But I, I did that until like, pretty competitively until I was like 18. And then in high school, my senior year of football, I ruptured my ACL and was done. I remember being on like oxycodone and uh, on the couch, pretty drugged up. And like the day after surgery and my dad, I was playing video games or something. My dad walked in and he's like, turn that damn game off, write a song. And so that's like the first time I ever wrote a song. And then after that, I couldn't put it down. And then uh, I, you know, I've been doing like acting stuff and like little theater stuff here and there i'd always wanted to you know do comedy movies and you know act and i decided to move out to la at like 19 did like a little indie movie that i don't think anybody ever saw or will ever see and then moved out here and started like auditioning and stuff and six seven months into living out here i booked a abc pilot and i was super stoked on it and was you know, I mean, the first the first pilot anybody books, they, they think it's going to be the biggest show ever. I signed with this new manager, and she has a client that I'm still friends with now. Do you know Jess Sore? No. She's one of my uh, good friends, but she was having, like, her 23rd birthday or something at, like, back then it was called uh, Truesdale. So it's Bootsy Bellows now. Yeah. I was probably 21, barely. or No, maybe I was underage. I was underage at this party drinking. We go to the party. I'm, you know, kind of mingling. She's introducing me to a lot of people, and drank and I lost my voice because I was shouting over like the music talking to people next day I go to shoot you know the pilot and I felt fine but I couldn't speak so I did like after we did the pilot I did a full day of ADR and I got recast on it I was like oh I was so I was so bummed out I was like oh gosh my agents are gonna drop me I'm never gonna work and do anything in, in this town again and was just stressing then two weeks later i get a call from um my agent being like hey you want to go in for the show called glee i hadn't seen the show at all and so i was like what's glee and he kind of filled me it's a musical show and i was like well can i bring my guitar and so i brought my guitar and did the auditioning process called me back that night they were like hey we chased somebody to get you to you know come back and sing sing another song but you'd already left can you come back, sing a song, acapella, did that, did like three weeks of auditioning after that. And then it was kind of just off to the races with that show for like the next five years. It was kind of ironic that I ended up being able to be on a TV show where I could do music. And that kind of pushed me more into exploring music because I just I never really thought of it or took it like as serious as I started to once I got on that show. And it was pretty much like a boot camp for performing. So, I mean, I had, you know, no experience didn't really know how to, you know, move on stage, didn't really know how to dance. And then getting thrown into this boot camp, it kind of changed kind of my trajectory in a, in a, in a really cool way. And I started writing a lot and, you know, living more and getting a lot of, uh, you know, stories to tell just through life and through the show and a lot of experiences. And then, yeah, I mean, so it was just kind of weird how all that, all that stuff kind of because I missed out on one opportunity, think, you know, putting all this importance, thinking that, that, you know, the world was ending because I missed one thing. There was always some, some other door that was 
better than I could have imagined that the universe had kind of opened for me. So, you know, it's funny. That's a, a common theme on this show. I had Dave Couillet from Full House on recently. Oh, okay. He's the best and super sweet. And we just filmed this cooking show together. But he was on the show and, I, and he was telling me the story of how he booked SNL. They were like, you got 10 days, you're going to New York, break your lease and get out. And so he did, sold all his stuff, packed his bags. And three days beforehand, Lauren Michael calls him and is like, hey, listen, we've been thinking about it. You're just too similar to Dana Carvey. So we're not going to hire you. In his mind, as a, oh. as a comic, that's all you want is to get to SNL. Yeah. And that was in 1986. And two months later, he booked a pilot for a show called Full House. You know, we were talking about it. It was like, thank God that didn't hit because the greatest thing in the world happened to you two months later. That works in mysterious ways. I mean, he's like, you're one iconic show yeah. where it's just like 40 50 people, you know, you know, I mean, it's just, they're always circ circulating in and out. And then you have this other iconic role and show that still people freak out over. Yeah. Your dad's written a bunch of iconic country hits. And I oh, yeah. always go back to, you know, that Garth Brooks song and shit, your dad might've written this. I don't even know. You know, that one song, it's like, uh, one of God's greatest gifts is unanswered prayers. I always oh, yeah. think about yeah. that. You know, we're, not in the same industry, but it's the it's the entertainment industry, and it, you have to have that mindset of maybe this wasn't supposed to hit, you know, like maybe the next yeah, you thing. You gotta be able to pivot or just be opening to letting other things just come to you. Every time I've ever tried to reach for anything, it's never, it's really never landed. I mean, the same way with songs, like you know, my dad had a, had a, he did a song for Blake Shelton called "Some Beach," and he wrote the song. She thinks my tractor sexy for Kenny Chesney as well. And so he was like close with Kenny. He was on the bus and they went to one of Kenny's shows when he was on the road with Kenny. And he's playing some beach just on the acoustic. And he's like, he'd just written the song and Kenny is loving it. And he's like putting his ear up to the guitar hole while my dad's playing it. And like, and, and so my dad was like, oh, this is for sure a Kenny Chesney single. They talked about cutting it and Kenny just never, never cut it. Yeah. And then, you know, my dad is, you know, he's, probably bummed out at the time but then like Blake Sheldon comes along and nobody really heard of Blake and then it was like Blake's first uh first number one and a lot of that stuff happens all the time like especially uh I mean he had I think he had Keith Whitley record on the other hand that he had with Randy Travis as well but they'd never heard of Randy Travis either and he had a bunch of other people that were going to cut forever and ever amen and on the other hand and like all of Randy's stuff and my dad was like oh let's give a shot on this young you know kid Randy and then Randy became Randy Travis. So there's a lot of cool a lot of cool stories he has with just you know not forcing it and letting you know letting the universe kind of dictate where it goes. Do you remember the name of that first show that you lost because your voice was gone the next day? Yeah, it was called No Ordinary Family and it was um it was with Michael Chickless, Julie Benz, like Kay Panabaker and Romney Malco. And so there was like a bunch of, and Romney Malco was a 40-year-old virgin, and I was a huge Jed Avatel, Steve Carell fan, and he was one of the main guys in that. And so like getting to work with him and then Chickless from The Shield, and this is like right around Fantastic Four, I was like, oh, this is freaking awesome. And then the show made it like eight episodes, I think. Things work out how they do, but that's kind of like where I am right now as far as life goes is, uh, I mean, I think all of us are like, we don't know, nobody knows where anything's going having the ability to look at something like, you know what, whatever kind of comes to me, I'm open to it, but not being in that mindset of trying to force something to happen. And I just think it's just, that'll make you insane. <laughs> I want to go back a, a little bit to the beginning. You, you know, you were a ball player, you blow your knee out. I find it very, <laughs> this is not funny, but funny that like the most sad bastard guitar playing shit I've ever heard is like, I was on the couch, a, hopped up on a bunch of codeine <laughs> and I wrote a song. <laughs> I mean, the song was so dark too. I think I just like watched Walk the Line yeah. and it was like this Johnny Cash, like it was very much a story song and it was called Death Row. Nice. <laughs> so it's like, clearly this poor 17 year old kid is uh, on some serious painkillers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously you come from a musical family of from who your father is, but were you always like a good guitar player? And like, can you play a bunch of instruments? And were you always just like a naturally a good singer? 
I mean, I can play guitar and piano, and I mean, I can play piano by ear, like enough where I could write a song or play it. But I'm not like a great piano player. But I, I started playing drums when I was like six. Mm-hmm. Just wasn't wasn't built for drums. And I picked up a guitar when I was eight. And my mom would drive me to guitar lessons, and my dad would show me some Jim Croce stuff here and there, and like learn how to play. Just like his favorite songs and my parents really facilitated or they really encouraged us to explore music and not, not we were we grew up in like a very christian household but it wasn't like christian music it was all like the beatles tom petty elvis like my dad had this collection of elvis records that i used to when i was like three i would sneak down into our we had a, it was like the basement but we turned it into this kind of music game room and I would sneak down there and I would be gone for all day just listening to probably like 10 different Elvis records from front to back. I'd come upstairs, my mom wouldn't even, he had six kids, so she wouldn't even say anything. She's like, oh, hey, I'm like, thinking back, I'm like, you didn't, you didn't wonder where your three-year-old was all day? <laughs> like, ah, I got five other ones. But uh, yeah. yeah, so they kind of, they just put great music in front of us. So from the time I could sing and play guitar, I was playing other people's music but it started with I never sang in front of anybody seriously until I was probably like 17 because I'd always do impressions of country artists Mm -hmm. or Elvis or anybody so I didn't really know what I sounded like and I was like well people people are going to judge me for my voice but if I'm doing a goofy impression of somebody and you know being stupid you know I'm gonna get some laughs and nobody's gonna think I'm, I'm taking it serious you know so there was like that fear initially of not being good in order to like override that i just just try to do impressions and be funny and that's why i'm always doing impressions now so you decide to pack up and move out to la when you're pretty young how did your parents take that my mom still says to me whenever i come back you know in town she has like an emotional moment she's like well we didn't think you were going to be we didn't think you were going to be moving out there and be out there from from like till now She's like, we never really got to say goodbye. It kind of just like all of a sudden just one day just happened. And it and how it happened is I came out here. She came out with me when I was 18 for two months to do some auditioning in the fall. Um, I booked an independent movie, drove out here to film it, and then never went back. They were really supportive until I was just I mean, they were they were always supportive, but they were really supportive and like were really encouraging for me to come out to Los Angeles until I just never came back. Yeah. I still go back for like a month here and a month there just to like when I'm writing and doing sessions or writing for country stuff or other artists, but the, there's no humidity out here. The weather's so much, <laughs> so much nicer. I'm kind of, I, I don't know how, I don't know if I'll probably split time if like later on, if I want to have like family and stuff, I go back and forth, but I'm loving LA right now. When did you come out of here? I just came out here like two years ago. I grew up in California. Then I went to school in Mississippi for radio. And then my thought was, well, I go to where they make, music that seems like where you would go do radio and then so i was in nashville from 07 till for 12 years i did love nashville but and it's funny because i always said i would never move to los angeles like it would never happen and then i just kind of finally hit a ceiling like there's nothing else i could do i i had worked for every radio station in town i could only ever make forty thousand dollars a year and it was just like all right i gotta go try something else and that's when I decided to make the move and it was, I think it was the best move, you know, for me. I think a ceiling is a great way to put it. I definitely feel that like going back, like, you know, going back and hanging out with your old crew and, you know, family and, you know, going to all the same places. Like there's just so much more you learn when you go to like a bigger city and when you like the opportunities and there's just, there's just a lot more going on. So when you go back there, you're kind of like, you get a little restless. Yeah. One question I wanted to ask you with a father who's such a celebrated songwriter, are you hesitant to go to him with like, what do you think about this just because he's written so many big hits or do you use it as an amazing resource that you can be like, Hey, well, what do you think about? Like I need to turn a phrase here or can't think of a, a bridge here. Like how does that work with uh, your relationship with him? Usually, especially in the music business, like that's like the first industry anybody will work in to where everybody's offering their opinion on whether they like a song or what they think you should change or what they don't like. And so if you can get past that, I mean, every song is your your baby. So mm-hmm. you you're have an emotional attachment to it. But if you can get that out of the way and just look at it from, you know, as many years as you can get on it, it helps. So like it, I don't ever take it too seriously if somebody doesn't like it. But, you know. 90% of the stuff that you do, people aren't going to love. So you have to find that one thing. So with my dad, I've just always been, uh, I've always played him 
or sent him emails of like full songs that are done. And he'll either be like, I'll get like a email or a text back after, with, oh, with the MB3 and he'll be like, great record. Yeah. That's a great record. And he's always usually encouraging. And it's never like, oh, I'm not crazy about that. I don't really ask him, what do you think of certain parts? Because I kind of want him to just, you know, be like, hey, you could do this here. You could do this. So any kind of feedback like that, I always take positive and he spends it as a positive. He's like, hey, you could really do this here. This might be cool here. But it's always like coming from a place of positivity and encouragement because he's one of the first people to tell you negativity kills creativity. Yeah. He's got a lot of wisdom, which I always kind of ask him for. But there's definitely, you know, people in the, you know, A&Rs or people at the label definitely or you'll send them a song you're super excited about. And they're like, no response or like, I don't think that's the right direction. Not really crazy about this one. Yeah. And then you're Ugh. After a few years of that, you kind of just write what you write and say Fuck everybody else, and if it resonates with you, and then I'm happy with it. You know, it's like you can't please everybody. And honestly, the music that I'm making, the people that I was working with at like a label or whatever, we're not even in the same ballpark as far as what type of music. Yeah, but he's been he's been such a great like resource for me to you know I mean everything you write you think is probably good until you get it in front of somebody that you really admire and respect. Getting them to get, like give you a nod is always. Always great. You've got two different musical projects running at the same time, right? You've Chord Overstreet and then just Overstreet. For people that aren't familiar with your music, can you explain kind of the difference between the two? Back when I, when I was at this label, I didn't really, I was coming off the show, didn't really have a direction of where I wanted to go musically, what I wanted the sound to be. And it was kind of just throwing darts. I really didn't do the artist development to figure out who I was. I hadn't lived, lived a lot. I'd been pretty much going from home to set for five years, 10 months out of the year. And then that was pretty much it. So I didn't really have a lot of life experience outside of work. Started kind of trying to write for what I thought they wanted music wise, mm -hmm. what or what people were listening to on radio. And I could imitate a lot of things and I could sing like a lot of different people. And so I didn't really have my identity. The moment when I was like, F it, and out of so much frustration, I started doing more experimenting, doing more of the band stuff because I wasn't getting a reaction out of the label. And so that's kind of how the the band stuff came about where I was just like, I played a bunch of acoustic tours or just me and a guitar. Uh, after like two months of that, I was like, you know what? I kind of want to play a rock show and move around and have fun and like just listen to music I want to drive to. That's kind of where that stuff came from. But then the other side of me, when I'm going through something where I need to, you know, self-soothe or therapy, you know, on myself, that's when I kind of pull the guitar out and I write something that's on the more emotional side. So it's like I have those two sides that love to have fun, love to have a good time, love to party and drink. And then there's the super sensitive side of me that I don't like people to see. And I can only do it when I'm alone, usually. So. <laughs> but that's the songs that I feel like you listen to and you can hear 10 years later and it takes you right back. And there's a visual and you have this story in your head. Like if you can kind of listen to a song, close your eyes, you don't need a music video. You don't need anything. It's almost like the pictures laid out in front of you. That's like my favorite type of music to just listen to and kind of escape. I've always just loved that side of it. And I think the stuff that's real to you and genuine when you write it, there's no wrong answer. And people can't be, oh, well, that's, I don't like that. That's, it's, it's just real for you. And if it's real for you, it's going to be real for somebody else, regardless who, you know, who on it. Like there's probably a ton of people that are like, well, I don't understand this Bon Iver song. You know, he doesn't care. It means something to him. And it's like you go back and listen to that music and you can still go back and listen to Skinny Love like the first time you heard it and play it on repeat. And it's still not old versus I kissed a girl and I liked it. Pop radio stuff doesn't have that timeless feel. It's, it's still great music, but there's a date. There's like a it feels dated now. If you go back and listen to an old Lady Gaga record like Poker Face, it's, it feels like old pop. There's definitely an expiration date or a shelf life on pop music for sure. Yeah. But then there's also like if you're at a party and you're like, you know, drinking, kicking it with your friends. The last thing you want to do is <laughs> put, a song, put a song on that makes you want to dive into like a 12 foot hole and <laughs> bury your head. Let's put on this Jason Isbell record and really get <laughs> crazy, guys. <laughs> this song's called Elephant. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, that's such a great song, but so, so dark. Yeah. Hey, turn it up. This is a song about cancer. That song I is mean, beautiful, though. It's such a beautiful song, but you can only you can only listen to that. You, that's not like a song you want to play with a bunch of people. That's a song you want to like play by yourself and yeah, just cry. For sure. That's the type of music I like listening to, like James Taylor. Just like stories. I like being told stories. I'm the same way. I, I call it sad bastard music. I'm a very happy person, but for whatever reason, I like songs that like really tear you apart. You know? What I've always said is with, 
with that type of music is nobody can always people can't relate to the exact story, mm-hmm. but everybody can everybody can be like I felt that way. Yeah, everybody can relate to that emotion behind it, and that's why I remember where I was the first time I heard Britney Spears "Oops I Did It Again." Yeah, and, and I connected to that song <laughs> on an emotional level. I was I was going through adolescence, uh, and there was this girl in this Catholic school or uniform, and I wept. (laughs) (laughs) And it was Britney, bitch. (laughs) Mother's Day is coming, and mom doesn't want flowers. She wants a cocktail. Here's a hint. Get mom Bartesian. It's the countertop cocktail maker that creates your choice of over 60 premium cocktails in less than 30 seconds, each at the touch of a button. Flowers die. Happy hour comes back every day. So get mom the machine that makes amazing cocktails with real fruit juices and craft bitters. Best of all, get $50 off a Bartesian premium cocktail maker with the purchase of one pack of cocktail capsules. So instead of getting mom a reason to fill a flower vase with water, get mom the easiest, fastest way to fill her glass with the floral notes of gin. The best cocktails are premium cocktails and the best day to get it for mom is Mother's Day because you can get $50 off now for a limited time. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash mother to get the best premium cocktail maker for mom at the best price for you. Artesian, premium cocktails on demand. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Awards Watch says Liam Neeson is at his best. Don't miss In the Land of Saints and Sinners. Having left his dark past behind, retired hitman Finbar Murphy, played by Neeson, leads a quiet life in a remote coastal Irish town. But when a menacing crew of terrorists arrive, Finbar is drawn into a vicious game of cat and mouse, forcing him to choose between exposing his secret identity or defending his friends and neighbors. In the land of saints and sinners, from Samuel Goldwyn Films and Sony Pictures Home Entertainment. Watch it now on digital. Rated R. You came into Glee on the second season. You said earlier in the show that you weren't familiar with the program. Once you got on set and started making the show, like when did you realize that the show was iconic and was a barrier breaker? I was just not watching any TV other than The Office at this time. And I was like, all I wanted to do was watch comedy. And I'd obviously been a huge fan of Jane Lynch from all of work with Judd Apatow and stuff, but my sisters were big fans of the show. And I, I remember going home from Los Angeles that fall um, and they were watching it on TV and I kind of passed through the room and I didn't know they were, I didn't know, I was like, what are you guys watching? But I was like high school musical or something. Yeah. And then went to go, like I went out, went out and shot shotguns and we do every Thanksgiving with my dad and like shoot clay pigeons and stuff. I get to LA, go back to LA and it's like six months later. My sister's like, Oh Cord, you should audition for Glee. You'd be perfect on it. They're doing a MySpace audition thing where it's like everybody on MySpace can audition for this role. And I was like, nah, I don't think that's not. And then in like two or three weeks of them trying to bug me about that. And then my agent hit me up and I was like, all right, well, Two people are telling me my agent, he's like, it's a big show, trust me, just go in, bring your guitar, whatever. So I went in and did that. But how big the show was didn't hit for me until like the first episode aired. And then like the song I sang was in like the iTunes at top. And I was like, what the f*** is this? Yeah. And then like after it aired, I went to like number one on IMDb and I was like, what is going? And then like slowly started going out into the world just like I normally would and like I'd never seen anything that was that global and massive instantly to where it was just like, this is really weird. Mm -hmm. Six months after the show started, like, you know, Elton John, I was like meeting people like Elton John that I'd like listen to their music and love their music forever. And like getting to meet Elton John and Elton John knowing who I was was like, this is like the coolest thing in the world. But it was just like, I had no idea what to expect. I was kind of shocked at that. It was as big as it was when it was all going on. But I mean, as far as what that show did for every issue that hadn't really been talked about on national television, it was such a cool, it was such a cool vehicle to be a part of something that was just, that spoke to 
literally every demographic. It was definitely like a culture change. Is there a Glee group chat? Actually, we do a we do a Zoom call usually every Friday. Yeah, you and Sarah should hop on hop on one of these uh, one of these nights. I mean, we do like I think they're trying to bring like a new guest on every every Friday to keep it interesting. Yeah. But yeah, it's like a bunch of uh, a bunch of the friends and folks that were we worked with, and like some of the people that weren't on the show that we worked with. Yeah, we all get on like I think it's like ten or fifteen of us, and we just have a white claw or a cocktail <laughs> and just shoot the shit for an hour. If you guys need a couple guests, all those girls definitely know Sarah. They would, they would love it if if you guys jumped on. Oh yeah. Well, if you guys need someone to jump on, guess what? This might come as a shock to you, but we ain't got shit going on, dude. We are just Tell- hanging out. Tell me about it. It's really fun. You guys should definitely come on and one Friday and bring a cocktail on and just hang. Where are they? We're there, man. Hey, tell me about quarantine sessions. Okay. That actually was like a week before everything was super locked down. It was maybe like a day or two after quarantine, but I just got the feeling like, man, if I could do anything to give back any kind of entertainment or something to take people's mind off of what's going on, why not? So one of my uh, buddies came over this camera and we just filmed a bunch of covers and or originals and just because we're not going to be able to tour or really do anything for the next ever i guess <laughs> yeah i mean who knows it kind of feels like it kind of feels a little apocalyptic that kind of just came out of me just getting something out there and you know if i can't go out and play for people or can't go into sessions and can't do anything i mean i think music is the essence of music is sharing it and like you know being able to connect with other people so i think that's Pretty much the only way you can do it right now. Speaking of music, I know you have a crazy guitar collection. I was wondering, do you have a favorite guitar? Well, this one, this is a one I stole from the show. Yeah? I would write in my trailer in between, like, when we were filming stuff. And when we were cleaning out the trailer, I just took it with me and nobody ever said anything. <laughs> I had props bring me a trailer. And it sounds amazing. What is it's it? Just, is it Taylor? It's Gibson. Okay. I got like a 345 right here, which is, I love this one. Gibson gave this one to me, and I never get it back. It's supposed to be a load, and then Gibson cracked down on it. This is, this is probably my favorite just because it's so warm. It's just, I got that when I was 17 from, it's a Martin DR, uh, but I, it's a, a Dreadnought Rosa, but I got it when I was 17 from my, from my parents for my birthday, and I broke the headstock of it, cracked the headstock all the way down. One of my drunk friends kicked it over when I was back in Nashville one time, oh. and I never fixed it, and, and it sounds even better for some reason. Oh, yeah? I'm a Martin guy myself. I do love that warm sound of it. Well, hey, I want to be respectful of your time. Before I let you go, you have time to do a rapid-fire question? Yes. All right, here we go. Rapid-fire questions with Cord Over Streets. Number one, what's your favorite pizza topping? Pepperoni. What's your favorite book? Uh, Moonwalking with Einstein. Ooh, I never heard of that. It's not my favorite book. It's just what I read read the most recently. It's about <laughs> memorization. <laughs> I like self-help books. One of my favorite books is uh, You're a Badass and You Know It. Okay. Who's your first kiss? C- can it be two people? Y- yes. Wow. Are, were you uh, on The Bachelor? What's happening here? Uh, 16. This girl, Megan and Stephanie. You had a triple kiss when you were 16? That's, yeah, that's the first one. I didn't know what, what I was doing. They... they <laughs> It was their idea, and I was just, they were like, oh, you've never been kissed? And I was like, no. And so they both planted one on me. Damn. That's the most badass answer we've heard so far. Who would you call to get you out of jail? My dad. Who's your biggest mentor? My dad. If you won an Oscar, who would be the first person you thanked in your speech? God. Weirdest superstition you've got? Ooh, that's a good one. I mix a shot of um, whiskey and tequila before, before every show. Really? Like in the same shot glass? Yeah. What's that called? A wakila? <laughs> Regret. <laughs> I was always just drinking whiskey, and then I started getting on a tequila kick, and I was just like mixing them up, and I was like, oh, I had a great show. And I started doing that. Huh? I started doing that for each show after that. I don't know. Who's your celebrity crush? Oh, man, Jessica Alba will and always will be. And do you have a nickname? And if so, how did you get it? Uh, a nickname, I do. My old roommate, you, do you know Glenn? Yes. Pal? Okay, he, yeah. We lived together for like eight years, and like through through this time, he started calling me Streeter. Okay. It was it was Street, and then it slowly became Streeter, and so now I'm, I don't think he's called me by Cord in uh, a couple of years, but it's just Streeter. I like it. 
Streeter, thanks so much for being on the show, brother. It's good catching up. I hope that the world goes back to normal soon and we can hang out. Yeah, if you ever want to talk about conspiracy theories, I'm, I'm all game for that stuff. Next episode, we're having you back on and we're just going to do a conspiracy theory episode. Let's do it. Hey, everyone out there, go uh, stream or download or buy or however the hell you absorb music these days, uh, what you need. It's out right now. Is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you want to talk about or promote? Um, man, I don't know. Oh, it's kind of all blur. It's so much fun coming on here. Let's, uh, we got to do it again. Hell yeah, man. Just come over to the house and you can, we can just come and have a beer in this room. Yeah, I'll do, I, I can do six <laughs> feet things. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> thanks for having me on wells yeah so good catching up man uh i'll tell sarah you say what's up and be safe out there all right you too see you bud man that guy's cool i now know why we bonded so hard at that vanity fair oscar party whatever the hell it was because we definitely started talking about music and our love for sad bastard music it started happening again there Anyways, Cord's a freaking cool dude. He's a really nice guy. He's obviously super freaking talented. It's not surprising that he um, is so successful. Anyone that freaking talented, yeah. Loved having him on. Seriously, go listen to his music. Everything he does is freaking beautiful. You guys be good out there. Be safe. And later. Holding you tight on a high while I wait for the bomb Inside my heart to the train tracks just to get off Subscribe to Wells Cast on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you get your podcasts. It's the internet. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. <sighs> Celebrate the end of your workday with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as another busy Wednesday flies by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. 